Okay, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Our very first guest yeah, is with us in the good. house. The golf stat pro, Mr. Lou Stagner, is with us in New Jersey right now. Yeah, New Jersey. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. It's uh, it's good to be here. So thanks for having me on. Welcome. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us, Lou. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, we were keen you know, to set up our first guest to the podcast and, and make it someone you know, that really we thought, again, always thinking of the audience, some that could provide massive amounts of value. I don't know if I've thought of anyone providing more value on a daily basis in golf over the last, especially in the social media world, over the last several years than yourself. I think the the analytics, the insights that you provide golfers, you know, I, I'm following you in every platform, but especially on Twitter, you know, mm. there's so much that I think golfers can learn from following your account on there. So, Kudos to you for that. And, you know, that's exactly why we wanted you on here today. Yeah, I, I appreciate the kind words. And and uh, being the first guest, I, I must, I'm going to have to win multiple fitted clubs by you, I think, is is what the prize <laughs> needs to be. That's easy. That's easy. <laughs> that's that's that. an easy one. Yeah. Sweet. Can definitely do Done. So, Lou, let's, yeah, let's dive into a little bit of your role specifically with, uh, with Arcos as the Data Insights Lead. Um, maybe kind of, you know, tell us how, you know, the road, the path that you've been on has led you to that and what you're currently doing with Arcos. Yeah, I have an interesting past. So about five years ago, I started a, a blog on golf analytics. Um, I live here in the Northeast where it's cold, as, as you know, where you are in Toronto. And I needed uh, to kill some time in the winter. And I told my wife I was going to spin up a blog on golf analytics. I thought I had some things that people might find interesting. Um, and she thought I was crazy. Uh, and I did. And so started it up and never really expected much. I thought maybe my friends would read it. And it got some traction pretty quickly. And, and uh, I started to put some info out on social media. That got some traction really quickly. I've worked with a few different people along the way, a few different players along the way. And uh, about a year and a half ago, ended up with Arcos and, and helping them out uh, in a role that allows me to give them some you know, guidance and insight on some of the back end and some of the things they're doing and then and be you know, a public face that uh, takes some of that data, which is creeping up on 700 million shots and turning some of that data into information that the general golf population can use and benefit from. So it's been a cool and fun ride and I have a blast every day. I get to play with all of that amateur data. Um, I have access to shot link data as well. So I get to look at tour data and I could literally spend 24 uh, seven in each of those spots and, and just looking at all of the information in front of me. Amazing. Amazing. Um, tell us about you as a golfer. What's, uh, what's the handicap? What's the level of the game? Uh, I finished last year as a 2.4. Awesome. Um, and I, be, before family, before kid, uh, I played down at scratch for a number of years. Was good enough to get into a few state ams, but I was never good enough to, you know, to be a threat in anything. Um, and, but was it was okay enough to, to put up a good number every now and again. My handicap ballooned up um, after I was married and, and, and stopped playing a whole lot when my daughter was born. Uh, and I, you know, was getting out just a handful of times a year and probably went up to nine or a 10 in that range. And then I've been back at it here for a few years now and putting some, some reps in and finished last year down in the twos, which was great. I'm still a horrible ball striker. Um, <laughs> I wish I could swing the club better, but uh, we're, we're making some progress. 
where you've got analytics on your side and you're squeezing everything out of the game with the data. I am squeezing everything out of this train wreck of a swing that I can. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely love it. I love it. Well, we've we've got some questions for you. We've got some, you know, things that we want to kind of pick your brain on specifically. And, uh, you know, why don't we we dive right into that? Sounds Sounds good. good. Awesome. Okay. So question, first question we had was from a statistical perspective. What area of the game should people spend most time improving? Where could their time be best spent? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So I'm going to answer it two ways. Uh, the first way, generically, I assume that your listenership is going to be very similar to what I come across on on Twitter or on my podcast or my newsletter. A lot of people in that you know eight to fifteen range. Mm-hmm. And as a generic statement, um, they should be working on their ball striking and they need to get better at ball striking. So off the tee, approach play, uh, keeping the ball in play, minimizing penalty strokes, making solid contact, picking good targets. That's generically. And, and that would, knowing nothing else, that would apply. Uh, but this is why uh, I'm going to give an example. And, and this is why it's extremely important to to know what you need to work on. So let's say that we have three 10 handicap players on the tee box. We all show up on the first tee. I'm a 10, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. All right, cool. We're not playing with any strokes today. Um, and the first player putts like the average 10 handicap. Uh, mm-hmm. The second player is in the bottom 5% of putters for 10 handicap players. They would putt like the typical 20 handicap players. The best putter in the group, remember, still a 10 handicap, they putt like the typical scratch player. So you have three players that are all 10 handicaps overall. One of them putts like the typical 20. One of them putts like the typical scratch. There's just over five shots of difference in putting skill between those two players, even though they're both 10 10 indexes, 10, 10 handicaps. So those players would have very different approaches as to what they should be working on. The guy, the, the player that putts like a 20 needs to spend some time working on that putting and getting better mm. with putting. And the player that is, is putting like the scratch player probably just needs to maintain, doesn't need to put a whole lot of effort in. So this is why it's so important to know what your blueprint is, what your fingerprint is, what your game is like. So you can focus on your weaknesses and, and by doing that, it helps you to improve quicker and, and start to get more out of your game, which are some of the things I've done for my own game, focus on my weaknesses to try to improve. And that's a great way to, to capture some of that low-hanging fruit for golfers. Amazing. Yeah, it a, makes a lot of sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I'm a victim of that. I don't practice the stuff I need to practice. I just hit a couple wedges and go play. And and all you want to do is hit your driver further, but that yeah, probably wouldn't hit maybe 10 a year. <laughs> Yeah, we we speak about it a lot in the in the club fitting our studio specifically. It, you know, what is it we're trying to do with our our clients, and it's trying to get them to perform better, score better, ultimately enjoy the game more. And you know, if we can the more tools we can give them, and you know, obviously we're focused on their clubs, but if we can give them again, that's that's I guess the the function of the podcast is how mm. do we provide the people who pay attention to our content how do we give them more tools to mm-hmm. to you know be a better golfer yeah and and tracking your stats is a really and it's going to sound like a sales pitch but it's not um you mm-hmm. know i'd love for someone to use arcos but at the end of the day um i i enjoy trying to help golfers get better and and if you're going to track your stats on the back of a napkin mm-hmm. because that's what you're most com- comfortable with i would support that 
because that's the kind of info that you really need to take the the bias that we all have in our mm-hmm. own game. You know, we do a pretty poor job at aggregating all of our data, our stats, our information about us. And we start to get these notions about what we're good at and what we're bad at. And sometimes we are, uh, we're okay at that. And sometimes we're really poor at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing uh, where you actually stand in every facet of the game uh, by removing your own opinions and inputs um, and your feelings based on how you played that day. Uh, and you may have missed a six foot putt in a critical situation. And now all of a sudden you're the worst putter in the world. When the reality is you're, you're a really good putter. You're just going to miss a couple of six footers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so removing all of that and knowing what your numbers are gives you very important information to focus your efforts to, to tackle the things you need to tackle. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Love that. Um, last episode, Lou, we talked a lot, a lot. Uh, it may have even spilled over into two episodes about the ball rollback. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikey, am I correct that none of us are a fan? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Okay, so co- not. collectively not a fan over at TXG. Um, not sure what your thoughts are, Lou, but we were kind of thinking, you know, if that's not the route that makes sense, you know, to go to actually control, you know, scoring and distance in the game, is there something else you see as a better alternative, like a, you know, maybe a solution that would be a little bit more popular amongst the kind of the general public of golf. Yeah. I'm also uh, in the same camp that all of you are. I'm I'm not a fan, a proponent of rolling anything back. Um, The only, I guess, positive I would say that uh, I've heard from all of this is that they did not uh, pitch this for amateur players. Mm-hmm. So there was as this, as we were leading up to this, um, Mike Wan's predecessor, Mike Davis, was was talking about distance being a threat to every level of golf, every golf course. Amateurs needed everything rolled back, and I think that would have been a tremendous mistake. Amateurs need more distance, not less. Um, and, and so I'm glad that they didn't do that. But I think rolling back the pro game to me makes no sense. And you know the the alternative is is in my opinion is do nothing. I think everything is great as it is. Um, and the gains that we've seen since the regulations went in place in, I think it was 2004, according to John Spitzer, who is the gentleman at the USGA that's in charge of equipment standards and testing, according to him, almost all gains since 2004 because of the player himself. These are his exact words. He said those to my face on, on my podcast. Um, so this is not something I plucked from somewhere. It was part of a conversation that I was involved in. And so equipment is is not why we've seen an uptick um, since 2004. We, we've seen upticks because of um, people like you, uh, you know, better fitting, better understanding of launch conditions and optimizing all of that, a better understanding of distance and how important it is, better understanding of fitness, nutrition. Um, PJ Tour players are getting younger uh, there, there's mm-hmm. not as many older players. So that, that has happened. Agronomy has changed a bit. Uh, there's so many factors that have all come together with, I think, our understanding of distance being important, um, you know, helping to lead the charge on all of this. And distance has always been an advantage and always will be an advantage. But until the advent of strokes gained, um, which it's kind of remarkable to think about it, but it didn't start 
uh, wasn't started uh, on the PGA Tour until 2011. I think Brody's paper was, I don't know, 2006, 7, 8, somewhere in there. They didn't start using it until 2011, and they first initially only used it for putting. Um, and so it took a few years, and Brody's book came out, um, what, 2014 maybe, Every Shot Counts, yeah. um, around there. And, and that started to you know pick up momentum. It started to, to get more exposure. Tour players started to use and leverage this more. And, it, and that, to me, helped us to really quantify how important distance is which is why you see so many players driving towards that because it's a, it's a huge advantage. So, you know, to kind of go back and just reiterate, I don't think anything needs to change. I think, uh, I think the game's in a great spot and um, I don't think there's any harm in leaving it as is. Yeah. I actually really like that take quite a bit. I think we all feel pressured to, I mean, we did it to you to give an answer as an alternative. Right. But I actually kind of prefer the answer of just leave it leave alone. It. Yeah, yeah, I like watching it. golf the way it is as well. Totally. Love that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best opinion I've heard on, yeah, on the subject. And, and I think, you know, so many people will say, well, we're running out of room. Well, that's not true. And, you know, yeah, the Distance Insight report true. is made up of 56 or 57 reports, sub-reports that they they summarized into 100-ish page document and a 15-ish page sort of executive summary. I read all 56 reports in there, and they've studied – a number of things uh, around distance related to distance with one of those things being the playing distance of golf courses. And I can see this with my access to shot link data. Um, So they are typically in nearly every round that's played on tour is played at shorter than the yardage on the golf course. And almost half are played at about a hundred yards shorter than what's on the scorecard. Um, So there is still a ton of room on existing golf courses to stretch them even farther um, without having to add any land or add any tee boxes. You know, the notion of adding land is also completely false. They studied that. Um, They're not adding land. There's one paper in there um, that very specifically in the study that they did uh, says that there's so many instances of golf courses adding a significant amount of distance, either through new tees or relocating greens, and did that within the existing footprint of the property. And the only time, or I don't want to say the only time, but for courses that increased their footprint, the likelihood that they increased their footprint through the addition or expansion of a practice facility, that was by far the driving factor of the expansion of the footprint. Um, And when they removed those courses that added a driving range or expanded a driving range, the average footprint actually decreased in size for the, for the courses that they studied. So the people out there that are talking about land expansion and all that, it, to me, that, that's disingenuous. It's not true. The USGA studied that. I know they always use 13 at Augusta as an example um, in the millions of dollars that they paid for that. But, you know, this is a – and I love Augusta. and It's awesome. I love the tournament. It's my favorite of the year. But this is a golf course that – literally bought a neighborhood and knocked down houses so they could have a parking lot. Um, and, uh, you know, they just bulldozed their par three and rebuilt it. Um, so if they wanted to spend money to extend 13, um, you know, they're, they're going to do what they want to do. They have unlimited funds. So I, I, it drives me nuts when they use that as the example. So as you can tell, I could go on and on uh, on That's this topic we for about an okay, hour. Uh, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause now and and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we, we can move on thing. to something else. <laughs> you know, it's, your opinion is a popular one amongst us there. So yeah. uh, no, great to hear your perspective on it. Um, 
looking into your crystal ball, you know, what what impact would you say or what impact could Arcos have on the game in 10 years, Lou? You know, with, with data, if people start using data and data becomes more powerful and, you know, we, we've got some insights to some of the things that are coming down the pipeline for Marcos, which are really, you know, exciting for us. What impact could that have in the game? Uh, I, it's transformational. Um, so, you know, you can, as an amateur player, you can get access to the same kind of data that players on the PGA Tour are using and leveraging for their own game. So to be able to have access to that as just, you know, somebody playing at, at the course near your house on Saturday mornings, I think is fantastic. Um, being able to get strokes gained every part of your, your game, you know, there's things that are, that they're working on that I don't know that I can, I, I got to be careful about what I say out loud, uh, but there are phenomenal um, uh, advancements, enhancements that are coming to what they do, how they do it, the information that's going to be available, um, which is just going to continue to make the product better and better and better. Um, and that's one of the things I, that I really love about what they're doing. They, they don't sit idle. They are constantly iterating and trying to make everything better uh, with what they do and what they provide. Uh, and to me, uh, that's just a, a very exciting spot. As, as a math nerd, as a numbers nerd, as a golf geek, it's extremely exciting to, you know, have a, a very, very tiny, tiny, small role and, and be a part of that. So as they continue to advance the product, it's just going to give golfers more tools to help them improve, uh, which is, you know, what you guys are all about. It's, it's what I try to do with, with the performance coaching that I do. And it's what Arcos is trying to do with the product that they provide to their customers. So it's, it's cool to be a part of it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I love the integration that's happening with with Arcos, you know, with launch monitor companies, with, you know, things like Stack System, you know, all these, yeah. all these, you know, um, you know, tools that are now being linked together that are going to help golfers, you know, get faster, get better, get smarter, more dialed in, you know, with their, their games and equipment. Um, I just, to be honest, I, I kind of feel like Arcos is sitting in the middle of all that right now and just joining all these tentacles of performance. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's almost like if you want access to join all those dots, you have to have Arcos right now. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a key piece of the puzzle in my opinion. I think the access is, is crazy. Like a golfer like myself who wants to get better. I'm a three handicap or whatever. I don't utilize Arcos enough. Mm -hmm. And then you utilize Arcos a ton. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you know, sitting there going through and you're like, okay, I need to go work on X. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I played unreal the last like three weeks in a row. The fact that we all have access to it and, and the general public have access to, you know, PGA tour quality data. I mean, mm-hmm. it's insane. And it is, yeah. I'm ashamed that I don't use it, but that's gonna, it's gonna change after this podcast. It will. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that, that kind of leads into the next question, obviously, Physical capabilities aside, you know, the golfer, the professional golfer now being an athlete, what is, what, what do they do that high handicappers could learn from and and add to their own game? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, I mean, they do everything better and that's a, that's a silly answer, but they are better at everything. They're longer, they're straighter, they, they hit the ball crisper and they make better decisions. Everything about their game is better than a mid and high handicapper. Um, There are some things when you look in the data that 
you know, really start to stand out uh, around big mistakes, around penalty shot situations, um, around club selection on holes that are challenging, uh, around how they re- they play recovery shots. They're making better decisions there. I can't tell you how many times I'm out with, and I don't want to pick on any of my buddies here, but I'm going to. You know, I'm out with my buddies that are 12, 15, 16 handicaps, and they get off in the woods and you know, they're trying to, you know, hit a window that's, you know, no bigger than a car window at 50 <laughs> yards away. And if they don't hit this window, like, you know, there's triple, quadruple in play or, or worse. And they're trying to hit that window. And it's entertaining to watch. It's a lot of fun. And it's, it's not as much fun when they're on my team and I, I'm going to lose money on that. But, um, you know, they're making pretty poor, poor decisions there. So, you know, the, the, the easiest answer there is they do absolutely everything better um, than than the mid and high handicap player. I'm sure you probably have some follow up, so I'm going to pause there. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's not it's not surprising. No. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the follow up I would have would be given that they do everything better. Yeah. Where do you start? I mean, I think if I was a 30 handicap right now, I would hear you and I'd say, yeah, he he's absolutely right about that. I make worse decisions. I hit the ball worse. I putt worse. I chip worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I eat worse. I don't exercise onwards and onwards. But where would you start if you had that, you know, 25 handicap that's committed to improving? They mm-hmm. want to, they're not going to be a tour player by any means, but they can move their handicap in the right direction. Where would you kind of start? And I know it depends on the player, but what's yeah. kind of statistically, what is the thing that helps the most? Yeah, they just need to they need to just make solid contact and keep the ball in play. Keep um, it in play. They yeah. did absolutely need to keep the ball in play. For amateurs, and I, I've written about this uh and I've talked about this a lot, fairways are completely overrated for amateurs. They're they're generally a useless statistic. The delta between uh you know a, a, an amateur player from the fairway versus from the rough is not very big. It's typically only about a tenth of a shot. So right. if you put a 10 handicap in the fairway at 140, 160, 120 yards, the difference between fairway and rough at the same distance is only about a tenth of a shot, which isn't that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the PGA Tour, it's about a third of a shot, give or take. Mm-hmm. And this is all going to be influenced and changed by rough height. So right. mm-hmm. the the difference is going to be smaller in shorter rough. It's going to be greater in taller rough. But on the average, the delta is a lot closer. And, and that's not because amateurs are significantly better from the rough than tour players are. It's because amateurs aren't as good from the fairway as tour players are from the fairway. Mm-hmm. You give a tour player a lie from the fairway where they can, can they understand how it's going to spin. They understand mm-hmm. what trajectory it's going to come out. You know, they can, they can control what the golf ball is going to do. They're really good. You know, amateurs, they don't benefit from that as much. And sometimes amateurs, depending on the skill level, um, they are almost better off in the rough, depending. And I'm sure you see this all the time. It's perched up a little bit. It makes low point control a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. You know, you get them on really tight lies. It can be, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. And trust me, I know. Um, and don't ask me how I know. Um, but those are are, are some of the things that um, – are influencing why fairways are not important. So the most important thing for amateurs is strictly keep the ball in play. Uh, I encourage them to not even look at fairway percent 
and just look at how often they have a realistic opportunity to hit a green in regulation after their tee shot. So we just want something that's relatively solid and in play, mm-hmm. not OB, not in the water. I do want to mention traps. You know, we do want to avoid traps as amateur players, um, especially mid and high handicap players. They are typically very bad out of traps, both fairway traps and greenside traps. Uh, and they're so bad out of traps where uh, a mid high handicap ish type player, you know, even down to nines, tens, are typically going to be better off being short-sided in the rough around the green versus being long-sided in a bunker Um, just because they are uh, not very good out of bunkers. So that's a a long way of saying make reasonable contact and keep the ball in play, avoid penalties. Some of that is going to be done by uh, swing and getting good at making better contact. And some of it's going to be controlled too by club choices. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting that I have, I'm going to turn the tables. I have questions for you. So I've known a number of players now that have done this. um, And I'm the first person to tell you how important distance is, but a number of mid high handicap players have gone through and put really, really short, shafts in their driver. I'm talking 41 inch shafts in Mm -hmm. their driver. These are 12, 15 handicaps. And they've, some of them have gotten on quads or track mans and they've done before and after from their 45, 45 and a half inch shaft under their 41 inch shaft. And they've gotten much, much better at putting the ball closer to the center of the face and much better at controlling the face with that shorter shaft. Is, Is that something that you've ever looked at in detail for mid high, mid to high handicappers, a super short shaft on a driver. I mean, I had a guy a couple of weeks ago in the Bay, um, on a Friday and, and he was like, I, I play hockey. I always used to use a shorter shaft and it was, you know, I was a better hockey player when I did that. And then I, cause we don't have really short shafts. I kind of taped it. I was like, okay, grip underneath that tape. And right. as soon as we did that, his strike, his speed went up, everything was better. He looked at me, he's like, just chop it. And yeah. so he bought a, he bought, I think we did 42 inches or something like that for really? his driver. Wow. Dist- he, distance for him. Graphite Zane DI, $500 yeah, yeah, yeah. shaft. He's yeah, like, yeah. just chop it. Cut all the good stuff <laughs> in, a t- in a TSR4 driver. Yeah. So oh. his speed his speed actually went up. His distance technically went a little bit further at yeah. that shorter at that shorter shaft. So it, it definitely, it's got something it, to it. Is it, is it, I mean, that sounds like a rare instance. Fair enough. Like, it doesn't sound like a thing that would blanket work in fitting. No, I mean, I no. think, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a tool that if it goes back to contact, like if right, you right. cannot make solid contact, yeah, contact yeah. is king by you know by far. If you can, I would say to as a fitter, give me con, give me solid contact. I can make your ball you know properly yeah, yeah, yeah. do whatever yeah, you yeah. want it to do. Without that, we're we're kind of you know we're struggling to make anything predictable. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean working for an OEM before you know, being in this line, Lou, I used to take three wood shafts all the time and plug them into drivers and, you know, people who were struggling specifically, you know, we done a video earlier this week where we talked about different styles of swingers. Yeah. Plane changers, people who typically get the, have the club moving, you know, inside, then over the top and try and manipulate the plane significantly. They really benefit from heavy and short. Right. Um, so, and yeah, no, I mean, 41 is, is short. short. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that a hybrid or a five wood? No, yeah, it's, it's a four, it's a, sorry, two hybrid, two hybrid, yeah. two hybrid length. Yeah. <laughs> Super short. But I mean, you guys, yeah, have, with a huge head, you guys would obviously 
luckily know how to balance the club. Unfortunately, a lot of people would do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, and I did it. Yeah. Never, right. The first time I ever came to TXG, mm-hmm. I had like a, a swing weight C8 driver because yeah. I just went to a store and said, yeah. cut this because I'm a smart guy. And then Aldo Lafino. I will tell you what I need. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aldo Lafino. And then Ian <laughs> swing weights, he's kind of like, this is a disaster. Yeah. So if I had have done it through you, you would have obviously put, you know, heavier weight in the head yeah, or hot yeah. melted yeah. or something to make it functional. Um, so people just need to, as long as they do that yeah. and, you know, get fit and not just yeah. waste their time thinking it's going to work for everybody. It could work. Yeah. Well, there's always the other things that go along with it. By making a club that short, you're significantly changing the lie angle. You're mm-hmm. significantly changing, you know, the 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 way the shaft deflects. Mm-hmm. You know, some some people might go on, I'm missing it a little bit left, so I'm going to go short on the driver and I'm going to go with a mid-sized grip or a bigger grip and then the grip offsets the sword weight significantly. Like, You've got all these layers of problems compounding on top of one another or solutions. Yeah. You know, might these might be solutions in that. And it's at what point do you finally get the answer? You you know mm-hmm. the the whole you know concoction works. Right. But you know, what which is the answer? Yeah. So uh yeah, I, I just Louis, I've got a thing, you know, about club fitting right now. I think we live in far too much of a safe space that the the progressions of length and swing weight and grip size and these things are you know, there's almost too much conformity to it. Mm. You know, I don't think we truly are understanding what works best for the individual if you're not testing. You know, how do you know that D2 swing weight's the best if you haven't tested D8 versus yeah. C5? You know, and, and are we really testing that stuff, you know, enough? You know, we know what kind of safely works. Yeah. But I don't think we truly understand, you know, what could be the best for every single player. Yeah, we talked about that last week, right? You got to go a little crazy to see what might work for somebody. And I find that swing weight conversation online becomes an argument and people Mm. think light swing weight, heavy swing weight, no one really knows. Mm. You have to test it. Yeah, yeah. You have to test it for yourself. We know there's some physics around head weights and, and, you know, heavier head weights are higher MOI. Mm -hmm. We know that they they produce more output and ball speed, et cetera, et cetera. So... You know, we do know there's there's those things, but what else does it do? You know, does it create more deflection, more variable, yeah. variability in the shaft? Yeah. It does that variability in the shaft lead to more variability in the strike mm-hmm. where, say, contact is king. You know, so it's, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's, a, there's a, a lot complicated on. one. Yeah. Well, just give me a 60-inch shaft. I just want to hit bombs. Yeah. So forget yeah. The, Mikey, uh, forget high the, launch, low spin, baby. That's, yeah, what, that's, that's what, what you I'm need. talking about. Yeah. 47.5 <laughs> autoflex, you'll be fine. Perfect. Yeah. We need to get Lou up here. I, I think we would have a lot of fun having Lou in the fitting bay. I think we would absolutely. That would, have uh, we can make that happen. So I get back to the Buffalo area uh, every year to visit okay. family and friends. That's not far. So, you know, you're two ish hour drive away. So we can make it happen this summer. Do it. Okay. Well, as you were kind of rhyming off your handicap, and I know what Sal's handicap is, I think we need a. Arcos scramble team versus TXG scramble team. That would be, oh, you guys, be great. You guys have got some yeah. serious players. That one needs to live on the YouTube channel. That would be something else. And that would be an absolute blast. Let's make I think it they'd happen. Manage their, they'd manage their game a little bit better. At, at, yeah. at Oakmont, though. <laughs> but we'd have, better, we'd have better club selection. We so. would have a nice, yeah, we'd we'd have have the nicest bags, but yeah. we might not, yeah, we might not manage the game quite as smartly. That would be awesome. Lou, um, one of the things that you talk about a lot on, on Twitter is managing or, or having players manage their expectations a little bit more around, you know, how many greens they should hit from 100 yards, 120 yards versus the best players. You know, can you give us a little context on that and, you know, a little dose of reality for, for mm-hmm. some golfers who get, you know, pretty mad at themselves? 
Yeah, I think managing your expectations is extremely important. So having expectations that are realistic for your skill level can play a very big part in how you actually perform. And so there are, you know, countless amateurs that have reached out to me, friends that I have, people that I know that had this uh, idea in their head um, that from a hundred yards in the fairway, very popular distance. And when we watch golf on TV, we're seeing typically the best players in the world on a heater. You know, we're typically, most people are watching golf on the weekends and on the weekends, they're primarily showing players at the top of the leaderboard True. and players at the top of the leaderboard are playing really well that week. Mm. So they're hitting a lot of good shots and that, and that's kind of our, um, one of our benchmarks that we're using. And I think that impacts what amateur players think. I don't understand why I think as golfers, we're all out of our minds for that because, you know, I don't see LeBron dunk a ball, a basketball or, or Steph shoot threes or Josh Allen throw a football or on and on and on and say, you know what? I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, us golfers, we see tour players and, and we, and I can show you my DMS that are just loaded up with these comments we think that we, because we're playing quote unquote easier golf courses that we should be hitting wedges as mm-hmm. close as tour players, mm-hmm. right. which is completely ludicrous. And so having good expectations, um, I think helps in a, in, in a couple different ways. And when you dovetail that into how you're actually performing and what your stats look like, I think this is how those work together. You might be a really decent wedge player as a, let's say a 12 handicap. And for a 12 handicap, you might be performing with your wedges better than what the typical 12 handicap would perform at. Uh, But because your expectations are completely out of whack, you think that you're a poor wedge player. And now that you start thinking you're a poor wedge player, you actually might start impacting your ability to hit good wedge shots. You might get frustrated and as you know, playing golf when you're frustrated, mad, angry, upset, you know, use the word you want to use, it's tough to play golf that way. Mm-hmm. And if you start to let some of these shots that you think should be significantly better, if you start letting that impact your, uh, your emotional state, that, that's not a good way to play golf. That doesn't result in your uh, doesn't result in you optimizing your chances to score as well as you possibly could. So having expectations that are reasonable for your skill level, I think is extremely important. Now I want to qualify that with that doesn't mean I want you to care less. It doesn't mean I want you to go out and, and not try to hit the ball exactly to where your target is because I, I do I, every single shot. I want you to give a hundred percent, pick a really quality target and give everything you have to hit the ball to that target, but then realize that that's rarely going to happen. And it rarely happens for tour pros, much less somebody like me with a desk job that plays on the weekend. Uh, So having things that are reasonable for your skill level, I think are really, really important. And I always get a kick out of, uh, you know, putting quizzes and information out around, you know, like this topic, for example, hundred yard wedge shots. On PGA Tour, the average proximity is uh, like 18 and a half feet. I don't have it in front of me. It's, it's right around there. Um, I want to say median is around 15 and a half, 16 feet. You know, they miss the green 18, 19% of the time from 100 yards in the fairway. Um, and 
when you ask the general population, they think that they never miss and they think uh, that they should rarely miss as well from a hundred yards in the fairway. It's such an e easy shot. I should never miss. Um, but that's just not how it's going to work. Um, but what I'll say is you need to track your stats because just because you're manage your expectations well um, and you have expectations that are reasonable for your skill level um, doesn't mean that your wedge play might not need work. Um, and using something like Arcos to look at your strokes gained uh, on a per shot basis uh, by distance is going to give you really good information to know, you know, hey, I'm, a, I'm not a great wedge player. And so this is not only important for giving you guidance on where to spend your practice time, but when you walk in to see your instructor, which I advocate very highly, you know, having a good instructor, you can give your instructor really good information. When you walk in to see your fitter, you can give your fitter really good information as opposed to when everybody shows up for a lesson right now, ask any instructor, 99% of the instructors will say, the student says, I want to be more consistent. That's mm. what they all say. Yeah. Yeah. They probably it say that to too, you too and right? fitting. 100%. I want to be more consistent. So being able to show up with really good data that quantifies where your misses are, how many misses you have, what they look like is awesome info for coaches and fitters. And that combined with you focusing your efforts in the right way and having good expectations is how you start to drive your handicap down. Sorry, I'm going off on a, on a tangent here and yeah, no, manifesto, good. but, good. but it, uh, it's something that golfers could really benefit from taking this approach. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Lou, you do a weekly newsletter. Um, this week's newsletter, you talk about idle golf clubs. Some yeah. fascinating stats in there uh, about golf clubs that people have in the bag that they rarely ever use. 13% of golfers carry a club that is used less than once every 10 rounds. 10% use uh, a club or have clubs that are used less than once every 20 rounds. That is insane. Yeah. I know a few guys that I play with on the weekend that That's are right true. in those stats, one hundred, one hundred percent. I mean, I definitely have a couple of clubs that don't get used a lot, but, yeah, it, would, but it would it would be every couple of rounds mm -hmm. and still pull it out of the bag. That's I mean, amazing. In the newsletter, the clubs that are most idle: four iron, three wood, three right. hybrid, four hybrid. Yeah. Makes I know a sense. lot of guys, yeah. myself included. I've got a good three wood now, but I know a bunch of guys I play with. They don't. They're afraid to touch the three yeah. wood. I was like, "Well, yeah, right, the, what do I hit here?" I was, yeah. "Oh, oh, I can't hit three wood." I was like, "Oh my god, you need to learn how to hit three or wood." Get, or get a new one. Or works, a new one. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I say to them. Oh, I can sell you it. <laughs> I could fit you for it. Yeah. No. Th those were some pretty fascinating insights. Tell us a little bit about that, Lou. Yeah, I stumbled into that. So I was I was looking at club gapping, and I wanted to see how well people were doing with club gapping. And as I was going through this, I, I noticed somebody that um, didn't use a club. Like they had a club in their bag and they only had 14 clubs and they just didn't use this club. And and I looked and saw a few more and then went, okay, there might be, what's going on here? Like how yeah. often, how common is this? And when I went through and did the analysis and, and came back with the data, I mean, it, it it was surprising at first. And then as I thought about it, I went, no, like that makes sense because in, in some ways I'm pretty guilty. I was that mm -hmm. guy with the three wood that I was so afraid to hit it. Like if it was on the fairway, I was probably not going to hit it. My angle of attack with my fairway woods prior prior to fixing this, you know, was it could be one up, two yeah. up. 
that's not a good way to try to hit a three wood off the fairway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I fixed my problem, but there's a lot of players that struggle with longer clubs, which is, I think, why you see them at the top um, and they just leave them in their bag and they don't use them. And I'm a huge proponent of having more than 14 clubs. And I talk about this in the newsletter. Now, I know you can only have 14 when you're playing, but I'm a proponent of having clubs to suit different courses in different conditions and making intelligent decisions, you know, preparing for the round you're going to play at the course you're going to play at, taking into account the weather and being able to swap out different clubs to fit what you might see at that golf course. And I'm also a, a, a huge proponent of trying to, when the situation warrants, and if you can pull this off, trying to get tighten up your yardage gaps in areas of the bag where you're going to have a lot of approach shots because I've, and I've done, and I'm sure you guys have seen this too. Um, I've done some studies around this, um, having players hit stock shots versus non-stock shots and stock shots have the tightest dispersion. So when we start to try to add a little yardage or take a little yardage off, it's typically for most players, their dispersion is going to get a little bit bigger. Um, and so you're better off having as many stock shots as you can, in my opinion, from the data that I've seen. And so I, I want to find opportunities where I can maybe tighten up my gaps um, in parts of the bag where I'm going to have a higher percentage of my approach shots. And, you know, I don't want to turn this into gapping, but, you know, there's a lot of players that have some pretty big gaps between between some of their clubs and, you know, it gets really interesting with slower swing speed players, especially as they get down to the longer end of the bag. Like, you know, they're six iron versus five iron is there's really not much of a difference. Um, and so I think there's opportunities to, to think through what your bag makeup is, have different clubs for potentially different distances, different wedges with different bounces for different conditions. Um, and, leveraging um, all 14 slots in your bag instead of having some that are basically not doing anything for you. You're better off taking, you know, the three wood that you never use. You're better off taking it out of the bag and, I don't know, putting a second putter in there if you're going to use it um, for left to right putts versus right to to left putts. So make sure you're not, if you're in that, if you're in that camp, either, you know, work with your instructor to get better or figure out a different club that's going to help you uh, shoot lower scores and that you're going to actually use. I mean, why let it collect dust in there, right? Definitely, definitely. Two yeah. drivers, a short one and a bomber. What's, we've we've seen it. Not? You yeah. know, we've seen it from some of the creative guys out there. You know, it's, it's their special teams clubs, isn't it? You it know, is, they yeah. bring them out when they uh, when they need them yeah, in yeah. special situations. And uh, I think that little idea of having a rotation makes a lot makes, of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. Lou, as, as somebody who tracks stats and, and kind of obviously looking at data all the time, I've got to, I've got to ask you, who's your pick next week in Augusta? Mm. Oh, that's really hard. Yeah, that's really <laughs> hard. There's there's yeah, probably only a handful of guys that, that could win. I would I would really, and I've talked about this a few times before, I would, my sentimental pick is I'd like to see Rory get yeah. the career Grand Slam. So I I will be rooting for Rory just because well, I'd like to see him pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Scheffler's playing so well right now. Um, I mean, th- these are the obvious picks. Scheffler, mm-hmm. Rom, Rory, they're, they're all playing incredibly yeah. well. But 
Uh, my dark horse is the man who snapped his ankle there a few years ago, uh, oh, Tony, Tony Finau. That's a good pick. He, he's not much of a dark horse, but um, you know he's going to break out. He's definitely going to win mm-hmm. more than one major, in my opinion. And then the other one, I it's, see, I'm going to be able to give you 12 names I and then go it. say, hey, I, 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 I picked the winner. Um, <laughs> I, the other one I would watch, too, is Zalatoris, you know, potentially. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's a good one. Really good ball striker. So Right. Going to be whoever wins. Um, it is my favorite week of the year. So Me too. it ah, yeah, doesn't it's matter. Best. It's just it great. Is the best. Do you do you give orders to the family the same as myself, where you just say, okay, you know, these are four days you do not have access to me when this golf is on <laughs> or the TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless uh, it's a true blue light emergency. Yeah, yeah pretty pretty much. Uh, yeah. And I, last year I got to go for my first time. I was awesome. there for all seven days, and I told my wife. Um, uh, about how much I was going to spend on merchandise, and she thought I was kidding. But mm. I came home with like a U-Haul truck full of, of so uh, a lot of stuff I didn't need, and uh, I could have spent more. Uh, yeah. but I had to, had to throttle back. It's just an awesome event. It's a lot of fun. I wish I was there again this year, but I will enjoy watching it uh, from the comfort of my my living room. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely to get that perspective of the undulation changes and. Just to be on the property and, and see, you know, the so good. to the degree of the manicure and of the fairways and, you know, just how impressive the whole thing is. Matty, boy, you got to get down there. I'm always the only per- I'm always the guy in the room who's not been to the Masters. You, you, and we, it's we, happening again because Lou got his first one last we year. Gotta do it. <laughs> I got to go. I you got to go. go. So good. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is really an incredible place. The first time I came down 11 and it opens up and you, yeah. you see yeah, everything cool there. It was it just... Is. It was such a such a fun fun experience, yeah. um, and I was there with a, a player, uh, an amateur player, um, right. Austin Greaser, um, who who I've worked with for a few years. So I got a little bit of uh, you know behind the behind the scenes, which was which was really cool. Just an amazing facility, and uh, I wish I was there right now. I wish I was mm-hmm. uh, heading down tomorrow. Yeah, very very cool. Well, Lou, listen, thank you for the time. Mm-hmm. This has been this has been amazing. There's so many more questions, you know. So we're you know, we'd love to get you back on or, or get get you on the Monday QA live. Yeah. I you know we've chatted about having that and giving our, you know, the audience access to ask you questions from their minds. We're giving you stuff that probably you selfishly want to know, but uh it would be great to have you in the QA on a Monday with us, join us at some point and um, you know, let the let the audience kind of ask away. It's mm-hmm. a great idea. Yeah, that'd be great. Would love to do that, and I will be I will be warming up the or the Arcos scramble team so we can be prepared yes, to throttle you idea. guys. Yes. <laughs> All right, that would be a blast. <laughs> that would be a blast. Well, and, and your fitting actually comes after the match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, perfect. Uh, well, if you want or a bum before. fitting before, yeah, yeah. 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 You know what, Lou? I'll fit you. I'll bend your liables. Mikey, do your lies. I'll do your fit. Exactly. Perfect. That'll be a blast, guys. You know. Please, you know, follow Lou on on social media, Golfstat Pro. Twitter's your your main yeah, focus and handle yeah. for for social media, Lou. Yeah, at Lou Stagner, at and, Lou and then if you uh, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, yeah, um, it's, yeah uh, just go to loustagnergolf.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. It's just a landing page to sign up for the newsletter, and it's it's real easy. And I send out uh, about once a week, and I have some really cool stuff. Planned a, cu- a couple more around fitting that I think you'll you'll probably be interested yeah. as we go. Awesome. One with with gapping that I'm going to do in the future, yeah, uh, which is really cool. So uh, I would I appreciate the the shout outs and and uh, look forward to, uh, to to seeing you guys all pretty soon here. 
Thanks, Thank you. Lovely. Yeah, Thank we'll, you. we'll leave links to to all all the places that you guys can find. You know, lose information. The podcast with uh, Mark Crossfield and Greg Chalmers, Hack It Out podcast. Got to follow uh, along in the guys, and you know, just so much good information out there. Mm. Golfers are very lucky, I find right now. There's there's just some great platforms to share information, and you know, you're certainly one of the guys out there being generous just by literally giving away so much free insight. It's, it's quite incredible. So. Yeah. Yeah, on behalf of, you know, us and, and you know, the golf community mm-hmm. in the TXG world, thank you for doing that, Lou. It's, it's definitely much appreciated. I appreciate the kind words and thank you again uh, for having me on. I, I had a blast. I could go for a few more hours. We could. We definitely could. That definitely just means we need to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's that's definitely. Awesome. All right, Lou. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, Take Lou. Care. Thanks. All right, boys. So that was, that was a blast. It was good. Really good. Really good to hear Lou's thoughts and insights uh, into where really anyone can can get some learnings mm-hmm. from uh, where to you know, lean into some of their weaknesses and prove some parts of their game. Yeah, yeah. I think him saying keep the ball in play is one that people should just, mm-hmm. if you're going to remember one thing from this podcast, I remember that. I'm, I'm it, it stuck with me a bit. Totally. I'm not a 20 handicap, although I sometimes play like mm-hmm. one, but yeah. in my mind I'm thinking, yeah, keeping the ball in play is probably where I 100%. waste most of my strokes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was making, I'm making notes over here. Uh, fairways are overrated. Okay, yeah, head back to was, studio. That was to another great. That was fairways another great take. Overrated. Fairways overrated. Yeah. Uh, I thought his take on the ball rollback was extremely good. Yeah. Just leave the whole that. game alone. I like sure. that too. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You think the uh, the fairways overrated is nice for me to hear? Because then if I do actually get a bit of distance, who cares? I'll miss a fairway, no problem. I would well, miss every yeah. fairway for 25 extra well, yards. We don't I think play I courses this, that have rough that's long enough that it matters. No. My home yeah. course, I, if I hit it in the rough, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I just to, play yeah. a little bit of a flyer and you're good to go. There's going to be places where even if you do hit it far enough, hitting it in the rough is not the, the huge penalty. I mean, look at Bryson at Wingfoot. I know. Mm, you know, he was hitting it, you know, obviously far and straight enough at that point, but... The clubs he was hitting into those greens, he could still, you know, get it mm-hmm. on the surface with yep. the wedge he had in. Yes. Or, you know, sometimes his miss was big enough or bigger. The point, he, he, you know, he's hitting it into walkways where, where the gallery was. He was and, everywhere, yeah. You know, things like that. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a really, uh, really good one. And, I, you know, we're obviously, we've been championing the cause for distance mm-hmm. and you could hear it, you know, for, for Lou, like, hit it longer, hit it longer. You guys have got to hit it longer. Yeah. That kind of attitude and we we see it in the bay all the time mm-hmm. not really here for you uh for for yardage i'm, I'm here to hit it straighter <laughs> no you're not i can't know pipe down yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you want to know well that's the thing with lou it's like it's we're asking him his opinions they're not really opinions they're right. statistics yeah, yeah yeah yeah. he's yes he's sharing statistics with yeah. you with you know yeah. in, in a spoken form definitely so yeah i mean if he says hit it further hit it further yeah um his augusta pick the obvious ones, he, he you know, he named the big mm-hmm. three and they always play well or certainly in the last few years have played well at Augusta. I thought Fina was an interesting one. That was uh, his one. darkish horse. Yeah. I mean, Fina is too good of a player to be a true dark horse, I think. But sure. I would agree with him. He's maybe not in the top 10 yeah. picks, yeah, but yeah, he yeah. comes alive for the Masters. Totally. Pretty much every year. Yeah. Good putter. I mean, they're all good putters, but he, yeah. gets, he gets pretty good with the putter. What, he went back-to-back last year? Yep. He did. Right. He did. That's yeah. what he needs to do, apparently, from when mm-hmm. I you know, watched like an analysis of him. Mm-hmm. His yeah. ball striking is usually pretty good. He has to yeah. putt. He has to putt. Every yeah. player's like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The match play was a blast last week. You know, so we, we talked about saving the match play on the, the podcast, and, and when we recorded last week, we were a couple of matches into the the tournament, and, you know, we now can look back at it and say, you know, what a great tournament that mm-hmm. was. Um, we cannot lose that 
match play no, event someone, or a match play yeah, event. Something needs a happen. match play event. We can always uh, some that. format if it needs to be less players, whatever you need to do. Yeah, yeah something because it, it's back. just it's just a nice refreshing thing to have, especially this time of year. I think it's good because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the golf seat or the PGA Tour season has started. Yeah. Haven't had a major yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a little. Like Rory said he's like I liked it. I get a little bit of head to head action, mm-hmm. more pressure on every shot. I don't know. It seems like. I don't know. Everyone likes it, so why not yeah, keep yeah. it? It's fun to watch because they go they go after more opportunities. Like there's yes, more chip ins. There's yeah. guys hitting it closer. It's different like, golf. Yeah, that's what I want to watch. It's very different. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of like, oh, whatever. I'm one down. I have to eagle this hole. I'll just go for the crazy shot. They yeah. never hit that in stroke yeah. play. No, no, yeah. no. That was awesome. So by the time we record, well, not but we'll be recording next week out on the eve of the Masters. Mm, that's right. But uh, you know, or, or actually, no, it'll be Thursday of the Masters. I'll mm-hmm. be in around there, but. You guys will not, you know, hear from us until the Masters. Masters, until Masters will have the tomorrow. Team. If you're listening to this right now, tomorrow. That's right. Tomorrow is tomorrow the Masters. Hello, Congratulations friends. to you in the future. I know, oh, I know. It's tomorrow. So we're we're kind of uh, reaffirming our picks. Uh, we have to note the side bet that's going on here. Yeah, please tell people what you two have cooked. I've wasted I've wasted a hundred dollars in I, many other ways, oh, but this is not a waste. Oh, I'm our bet you. between Ian and I. Yeah, I've got Tiger. He's got Jason Day. And the bet is who's going to finish better? Who's going to finish better? The Tiger's going to make the cut. Jason Day won't. No offense, Jason Day. <laughs> oh, really? Be Hot, take. Bucks. Hot take. I, 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 mean, I gave I, you guys my opinion. I do camera. fancy Tiger to it's make the cut. It's going to be nice cup. and warm. It's actually going to be That's roasting. True. If it's He's warm, that makes yeah, a big yeah, difference yeah, for Tiger. Great. I, I like Tiger to make the cut. I would certainly bet on that. I would put money on that as well. I would say, you know, he's good for a, Top five. you know, two under, one under kind of first two rounds. And something a couple of 74s or something. And then, then he's, he's you know, the, I think, I long range forecast, but the Saturday earlier looks cold and the afternoon looks pretty good. So right as of right now, I think it's 11 mm-hmm. is what they're talking about. So that's you know, good for morning, him is afternoon round on the Saturday. Last yeah, off. He's going to get two o'clock. <laughs> yeah. It'll be last <laughs> off. Oh my God. I listen, it's win win for me. Sixty something, sixty True. something. If you, if you burn a hundred bucks in yeah. tigers in the Tiger top three, you'll be some happy. Some kind of run, I'll be over the moon. I'm, yeah, I've always if said we hundred bucks. If he wins at Augusta one more time, I get the Tiger Woods logo tattoos over my body on your butt. <laughs> no, okay. sure. and the podcast listeners get to decide where. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure, no problem. Exactly. No, that, <laughs> no problem. That'll be awesome. So, um, so that's the bet that's, that's currently going. So, yeah, guys, uh, get into Mikey on uh, on Instagram and bet three six five. Yeah, bet. <laughs> and your local sports book. It's yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, definitely pay attention for that, Matty boy. Who's your 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 one man pick? Who's putting on the green jacket? I'll go boring. Um, I'll say Scheffler again. Okay, I saw something I this week. I, I saw something this week that said he's apparently playing better than he was in the lead up to last year's Masters. I could definitely, so I could definitely buy that. We enjoyed your uh, dark horse picks, boys. So I'll I'll be the boring one and say yeah. if he played better this year than he did last yeah. year and he won last year, then that's probably where the smart money yeah. is. Yeah. Well, my pick certainly to win it. Uh, my pick is is Rory. Uh, I saw some some things in his game last week where it's just like if you know if if he. If he can find that level of comfort off the tee mm-hmm. and on the green, and on the green, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to be so tough around there. Agreed. 66, 66, 67 when he visited a couple of weeks ago. It's got to be a huge confidence booster for him. Yeah. I mean, the match play to finish his match that day where we were playing on Thursday night, mm. this league that we play, and we're all, we all paused. We're like, yeah. you'll not, you're not going to believe what Rory uh, yeah. just did. Right. I right. mean, 
if you drive it like that, I'm not saying he has to hit it 370 all the time, but yeah. if you just drive it straight and confident like that yeah. at Augusta, I mean, so, who else can win? The guy's putting well, he's chipping well. Yeah, like, yeah. he's got everything that matters. But he's not Tiger. <laughs> okay, enough. <laughs> we'll have to cut you off. 2019 was a good time. It was a good time. It yeah, was a good time. That's hard to forget. So, so yeah, so I'm saying Rory. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd love to see Rory do it. Career Grand Slam for golf right now would be cool. Would that be who you, if your life depended on it right yeah, now I'd today? Yeah, put Rory you'd, you'd on it. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tiger. <laughs> Tiger, if you're listening, <laughs> apparently he's a listener. Oh, I'm sure he is. He texted yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else good on in his life. No, he's not. The yeah, podcast so true. Yeah. I'm a fan. That, yeah, that's... He's got a lot on his plate right now going to the Masters. Hopefully he can focus. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I just hope he manages his week. You know, it's a lot, you know, it's well documented. You know, obviously the the challenges he now has, you mm-hmm. know, walking. Uh, walking, you know, that amount. I just, he knows that course so well. better than anyone by a multiple, Yep. you know, at this point. So I just hope he kind of gets there, gets a little feel for around the greens, gets out to, you know, 13 a few times, hits the new tee shot and 13 you know, figures out his kind of some strategies around, you know, if he doesn't quite catch one, you know, what's his not, all that sort of stuff. I hope he, you know, gets dialed in with that. And, and, you know, I can certainly see him, you know, putting together a a nice, a nice week. I just, you know, hope he manages his his kind of energy. We will find out. We will find out. All right, guys. Uh, Really great to have Lou Stagner on the podcast Mm -hmm. this week. Yeah, absolutely fantastic to have our first guest with us. Great, he did great. Really, really enjoyed that and certainly more guests uh, coming on the Definitely. podcast. Guys, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please do. We always ask every week. It makes a big, big difference really uh, to us to uh, share the podcast, mm-hmm. review the podcast, and certainly subscribe in whatever platform it is that you enjoy on. Yeah, wherever you'd like to see it or, watch or listen to it. Yeah. Excellent. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>